Hi, everybody. This is Jeffrey Short from MarketScale. And what is a sad day in Dallas as the city has lost one of its icons of the last century? Ross Perot has passed away at the age of 89. He was, of course, a veteran, a great philanthropist, a two-time presidential candidate, and an iconic business person. To get more perspective on what he meant to the greater North Texas region and nationally, we brought in Melita Garza, an associate professor in the Department of Journalism at the TCU Bob Schieffer College of Communications. She's also a business journalist at the Chicago Tribune and Bloomberg for many years. Melita, how are you today? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for joining us on short notice, as we said earlier. Um, Can you give us a, a sense of the role that Ross Perot played in sort of the ascent of Dallas in the, in the 60s? Well, sure. Um, so, of course, his most uh, prominent, perhaps, to the larger world contribution was through the development of Electronic Data Serv- Systems Corporation, more popularly known as EDS, which was a uh, software services company that he started um, after he quit his job as an IBM salesman. He started with $1,000 in 1962. Um, And people really didn't know what to do when they saw the EDS sign go up in um, the Dallas area. They they thought actually it was perhaps a restaurant, uh, Ed's. But uh, in any case, uh, it wasn't long before the the Dallas and the rest of the world soon found out what EDS was all about. It made a large amount of its money through uh, state contracts to administer Medicare and Medicaid programs. And um, it had a very, as they say in, in, in business, a unique value proposition. And that was that the company would design, install, and operate computers for businesses. Now, mind you, this is back in the 60s. And Perot's idea was that, well, businesses really are getting the idea that they, they need computers. And he knew that because he was a slam dunk salesman for IBM. And, but the problem he saw was that a lot of companies didn't know how to really use, the, use these computer systems well. So it was a, a, a great idea. And he, it soon caught on. And when his company went public, uh, he instantly overnight became worth $300 million in 1968. So that was kind of his first uh, big uh, impact in Dallas. Right. And can you talk about the importance of of how forward thinking he was, not only just with EDS, but some of his other business ventures and um, that talent he had for sort of just thinking a couple steps ahead? Right. So, um, he is, uh, pro is largely thought of as the entrepreneur, right? The startup guy. Um, and uh, in fact, this, uh, his, his vision, or as they was later called or thought of as leadership, was so recognized that in 1986, the Winston Churchill Foundation um, bestowed on him their leadership award, and, and Prince Charles came to Dallas to uh, present this award. So this is you know, really putting Dallas on the map, right? So, uh, but he did not think of himself in such lofty terms, right? He compared himself to that grain of sand that irritates the oyster. So that's literally how he thought of himself as kind of that, that, that element that's going to really rub you the wrong way. Um, and so his, his particular skill was that he was able to see 
needs and and fill them where others didn't. And he had the money at this point to bankroll something um, that maybe isn't uh, as well known or at least outside of the Dallas-Fort Worth area um, as EDS is, but which is hugely important uh, to the growth and development of Dallas, and that is Alliance Airport. So through his Hillwood Development Company, he and his son, Ross Pro Jr., um, decided to put forth this freight airport, and it was billed as the world's first purely industrial airport built as a greenfield project. So what this means was that companies would be able to use this airport um, for, for their uh, cargo and trade, and he built this, as, as everyone who knows where Alliance Airport is, right? It's right there at I-35 West and on the BNSF rail line, and so it really was not just about selling air services and freight services to to companies, but selling the whole package of road and rail and air. So this whole intermodal idea of transportation. And then along with it, um, he began buying out all this farmer's land. And so, well, at first, it didn't seem like he was necessarily such a visionary, although he had some pretty big tenants, including American Airlines, um, BNSF, 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 the DEA, a lot of military units. Um, but he also, um, as I said, he and his son, through their real estate development firm, um, had bought out 26,000 acres, have what they are now home to 500 companies. They've created more than 62,000 jobs. And um, according to uh, Alliance Airport, at least, the it's generated $76 billion in economic impact for North Texas. So it's one of those uh, kind of less known stories to EDS, but it's a prime example of the way Perot saw a need that no one saw and ha actually had the means to fill it or found the means to fill it, right? And this probably wasn't too surprising necessarily considering that I mean, he is a very smart man. He graduated from the U.S. Naval Academy in, in 1949. Um, it should be noted that Perot right, was born and raised in Texarkana. And uh, he delivered the Texarkana Gazette by horseback. Uh, his, his father was a cotton broker and horse trader. And so in a lot of ways, Perot was a cowboy. He broke horses growing up, sold saddles, cut grass. Um, and then, you know, you could, you could sort of see that he just went on as a business person to do this kind of work, like tearing down barbed wire fences, right? Um, and building things that, um, people could not have imagined. Yeah, it's definitely an impressive legacy that's certainly living on today. You can see the Perot name plastered all over Dallas on some amazing uh, projects and buildings, of course. Um, you brought up EDS and uh, the GM merger, not merger, acquisition of by, by GM of EDS, but it broke off after just a couple short years. And I'm wondering, as someone that's covered business the way you have and you teach business journalism at TCU, is that a rarity to have that big of an acquisition, um, you know, have the acquired company's stock bought back so quickly? Not necessarily. And what, what, uh, what is not a rarity is to have two very big CEOs form some kind of partnership or merger and, and have, 
have it end inevitably in a squabble over who's really in charge here. And so in, in that sense, it's really just a variation on a lot of other merger stories. Um, so, or in this case, acquisition. So it, it was a, a, a great deal for Perot because it meant get, I mean, being selling to GM because he got a premium price for his stock. And he was excited about the chance to play this major turnaround role in General Motors, um, which at the time was, was still struggling. And of course, they had, like, as did many businesses, like, legacy businesses, had disjointed uh, computer networks that, that didn't necessarily talk to each other. And, and it was EDS trying to, to in, instill this, this pristine, uh, workable computer network to, to help move GM forward. Um, what inevitably happened in this was that. Uh, the love affair between the the head of uh, Roger Smith, GM's chairman, and Ross Pro just simply didn't last, and it it the the bitter battles started arising over basic elements of their agreement. Uh, Perot, for instance, wanted to be the one to say what the EDS employees would get paid. Um, Smith said, well, no, EDS is now owned by GM, so they, the workers at EDS need to be on par with the GM pay scale. So, so some of this is ego. Some of it is also collision of business cultures and practices. But I would say for the most part, um, it, it, it were just too many big heads in the same room. Yeah, and he definitely um, rebounded well by starting another company that was later acquired by Dell for uh, several billion dollars in 2009. Um, and with all of that money, he's given back tremendously to the North Texas area. So I'm wondering maybe how you will remember him or how you think in general he'll be remembered. Do you think it'll be more for the business visionary or uh, the philanthropist? Well, I think it's... I think, frankly, it's the whole package because 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 it's so rare to have a business person who literally is larger than life. I mean, he he was not in stature, at least physically, a tall man, and and he he did have some limitations, right? He wasn't always a great success. Um, in 1974, for instance, he took over two Wall Street firms that failed, and he lost 60 million dollars on that deal. Uh, so. You know, he 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 wasn't perfect at, at everything that he did. Um, of course, no one is. But um, I think with with Perot, it's it's in a sense people were kind of wondering, well, what is this crazy Texan going to do next, right? I mean, not only was he, uh, as you pointed out, giving a lot back. I mean, that was one of his signature uh, ideas that 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 you earn the wealth, you, you return it to the community. Um, but he also had some, some big vision ideas, such as his quest in 1979 when he hired a former Vietnam commando and sent him and a group of EDS executives over to Tehran to free two EDS executives who were imprisoned in, you know, in Tehran. So he, uh, he, he, he thought big and, um, and so I think, um, I think it's all these things. I mean, he was, he was the real deal. He, he had big ideas. 
he he was uh, someone who gave back a lot. I think what most impressed me in all the you know thinking about him from the journalistic point of view. Uh, of course, I'm very impressed. Like Warren Buffett, also uh, delivered uh, newspapers growing up. Right. Um, but I think uh, he told a Perot told an interviewer for the New York Times in 1960. In, excuse me, in 1986, he said, um, "I had a." This is Perot speaking. He said, "I had a friend who died at 94, dancing with a beautiful woman. That's the way I want to go, and I hope it's my wife." So I think, you know, just that he was this real person. He was a mm-hmm. real person. And um, and I obviously not always write about everything. We, we haven't talked about his third party bids, right, for, for in politics, as many people saw him as a spoiler. But um, I think I'll, I think as the, as the real deal, that's what I think of him. Yeah. And I did want to just wrap up by talking about his presidential runs quickly. You know, we're not um, a political site or anything like that, and we're not political pundits, but um, it's hard to ignore because he did have such, you know, he didn't win, of course, but in 92, he got about 20% of the vote as a third party candidate, which hasn't really been done. Yeah, you know, it hadn't been done since I don't think uh, Theodore Roosevelt was running in uh, the Bull Moose Party, and it hasn't been done since. So, you know, um, I might ask his political legacy as kind of an outsider, but I also was interested, speaking to you as someone who has been a member of the media, he was sort of lampooned a little bit by Dana Carvey and the likes. And I'm wondering what kind of impact does that have? How effective is that um, at really shaping a person's character to the public, you know, the media treatment, whether it's a business or a politician? Well, I think the prime, the primary way that to overcome it is, of course, by laughing it off. And as we saw with, um, and you know, speaking of Perot's election visits, we saw George Herbert Walker Bush. I mean, he was certainly somebody who was definitely lampooned um, by Saturday Night Live, and and he just he just laughed it off, and um, you know, invited, um, I believe it was Dana Carvey, right, also to the right. White House. And so I think. A lot of this has to do with I think, the individual um, and how that individual, whether it's a politician or a private citizen, handles uh, these kinds of, of uh, satirical representations. And uh, George Herbert Walker Bush was particularly adept at handling it. Uh, I, I think that, that the Dana Carvey impressions, though, are, are not the way primarily either George Herbert Walker Bush or Ross Perot will be primarily remembered. Um, I think, and in many ways, you could argue that that Perot was such a character in his own. He was almost a parody of himself. So to have a parody by a uh, by a television satirist is almost secondary to the real deal, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, he obviously left an amazing impact, uh, not only in Dallas, but he served his country. Um, over many, many decades, and the foundation uh, that bears his name is still doing so in Dallas for sure. So um, his legacy will live on. And Melita, thank you so much for giving us your perspective here uh, on the day of Ross Perot's passing in Dallas. Uh, We appreciate your time and your unique perspective as someone who's covered business for a long time and um, is now here in the DFW area. So thank you. You're welcome. 
This interview is part of the MarketScale Contributor Program. If you'd like to be featured as a contributor on MarketScale.com, please submit content to publications at MarketScale.com or head to our publications pages at MarketScale.com industries to see more.